Hi, I'm Raymond, and you're listening to Insert Quest here. Uh, today we're not playing a game. Today we are interviewing Caleb Stokes, uh, who is a game designer, uh, and he's here to talk to us today about his past games, but in particular, his new game, Red Markets. How you doing today, Caleb? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, we, we're very interested in hearing about uh, Red Markets. Um, we've been following it along a little bit online. Um, but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as a creator and uh, an artist uh, and things like that? Uh, well, uh, I've only been in role-playing specifically for about uh, six years now, I suppose. Um, but before that, I got my master's degree in creative writing. Uh, so I've always been a writer. Uh, and it's only recently that I've uh, started realizing uh, how I can apply that sort of skill set learned in you know college workshops, where we all write stories about how tragic it is to be upper middle class and white. Uh, it's only recently I've figured out how to apply that skill set to something useful like designing games. So uh, that's how I came into game design. Ah, brilliant. Something useful. Uh, people <laughs> would argue with us that games are useful. Ugh. Well, those people oh, haven't sent stupid. through 30 hours of college creative writing workshops. And then, yeah. then we'll see what they think. <laughs> so, no. Brilliant. Um, so you're not that uh, different to us in that regards in terms of how long you've been in role-playing. We're, we're not. We only started at the you know, a year after high school, most of the people on our podcast. Um, That's tell, a little strange, me, isn't it? Like, when I meet people yeah, at like conventions, I mean, they're like, I've been playing since I was five, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I know a couple of people like that, but it's, yeah, more more of the people I know, like, started in high school, uh, or, uh, sorry, at the end of high school or just after. But um, what are some of the other games you've designed? Have you designed other games? Um, um Red Markets is my first original uh, from the ground up system. Uh, so dice mechanics and everything. I've written quite a few supplements. So uh, my first book was called No Security Horror Scenarios in the Great Depression. Um, and they were all uh, very much Cthulhu-esque horror scenarios, uh, but with original monsters, not relying on Lovecraft or the mythos, um, set in 1930s America. Uh, and they were systemless scenarios. Um, I've also written a campaign book, a satirical campaign book about the American education system called No Soul Left Behind, uh, and that's for Greg Stolze's uh, great game called Better Angels, uh, where you play supervillains um, that have been possessed by demons. Uh, and then I've done a lot of freelancing work for uh, other games. Uh, I've written for Ross Payton's Base Raiders, which is a superhero RPG. Uh, I've written a lot for Eclipse Face. Uh, I think I'm up to being in four of their books now, uh, and I've done a standalone adventure for them, and uh, I've written some for the Delta Green RPG as well. So uh, I've worked uh, quite a bit in supplements so far, um, but this is my, uh, f and I've written uh, two book-length works so far, but Red Markets is my first uh, ground-up new dice mechanic uh, design. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, you've got, you've got a, a bit of, uh, experience under your belt before starting this project um 
but not necessarily in all of the areas that this project requires. Uh, yes, I am no Kenneth Height by any means. Uh, and I will freely admit being an a amateur in some aspects of it. Um, but I mean, thank God this is my first project. I'd be drowning. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so we're here to talk about red markets primarily today. Could you want to give us your elevator pitch for that? Uh, what, is, what is red markets and uh, what, what might, uh, why might people want to play that game? Uh, Red Markets is a game about economic horror. Uh, it's a zombie uh, game, but rather than the traditional all-society collapse narrative of a zombie tale, um, society survives, only you're not invited. Um, so it's very much about the wealth gap. It's about uh, needing things to survive and needing capital to buy them. Uh, and it's about what you have to do to do that. Uh, if I had to totally elevator pitch it before you stepped out the doors, I would say it's a poverty simulator, but nerd troped so as not to be exploitative or insensitive towards people actually undergoing that experience. Oh, wonderful. Uh, you know, in a dark, depressing kind of way. Um, <laughs> how did you first get the idea for Red Markets? Like, what was the genesis of that? Uh, well, it was a lot of different things. Um, I was raised lower middle class, uh, so I've had you know money issues all my life, and I recently had gone through a batch of unemployment, uh, which is you know not atypical in the game design industry, air quotes around industry, uh, but uh, it was uh, pretty trying. Uh, I also work in education, so I see the effects of being trapped in a poverty cycle every day. Uh, and how deeply that affects people. So it was something that's always been very much on my mind. Um, I also graduated college during 2007 at the start of the financial crisis. So it was very interesting to see the sort of narrative of like, we will all go to school, we will all work hard, and then we will all have good jobs that will last us for the rest of our lives. Sort of uh, that narrative sort of evaporate in a few short months. Um, and so those were sort of life events that led to it. Um, and then also, I always uh, was interested, by the way, uh, ever since I got into RPGs, they sort of um, are deeply capitalist in their ideology, but never actually examine that or take it to its conclusion. Uh, well, I shouldn't say never, but for the most parts, do not. So, for instance, um, in D&D, you buy a sword. It's always sharp. It never breaks. Uh, you spend the cost. It has no upkeep cost. It just it remains your sword for the rest of your life. And I don't know anything that works that way. Like, I bought the computer I'm talking to you on right now, but it is a monthly cost. If just only in electricity and internet access, that's not counting applications. That's not counting maintenance. Uh, that's not counting opportunity cost of doing that maintenance instead of doing something else. Um, so I always found it interesting that... Um, RPGs are sort of founded on this very much, uh, you know, cutthroat capitalism ethos, you know, go in the hole, kill the things, take their stuff. It's your stuff now. Uh, and then it never really got down into the darker side of that ethos. Um, it just sort of accepted it as a base. Uh, and then you move on from there. Cause you can even have a game about uh, vampires, you know, being dark and personal horror and stuff like that. And then they still have a fixed price for a gun as if a vampire would need to buy a gun 
as if a vampire would need a gun, or if you have a game like Shadowrun, which is ostensibly about capitalism and is a great game, and it's about these people on the you know the pointy end of the economy, um, they need to go out and risk their lives against these all-powerful mega corporations to steal their stuff. Well, I know if I was going to do that, I would have to be pretty freaking desperate. But if you decide not to take the job, you just go home and nothing happens. And that's not how anything works for me. If I don't go to work, I don't eat or I get kicked out of my home or I don't get medical care. Um, and since I write a lot of horror scenarios anyway, I figured that, um, you know, supernatural horror is great and I want to include that. But how much more horrific would it be if it was supernatural horror, horror plus the daily grind of existing in capitalism? Uh, how, how much more... Uh, horrific would it be and how much more heroic would characters be if they could survive this sort of nightmare come to life in addition to um, all of these regular everyday concerns. Uh, and so that's why I sort of picked the zombie apocalypse because uh, I will be the first to admit that that narrative has been run into the ground at some point. And that's why I think they're the perfect mar the perfect monster for red markets because they can eat you and they're terrifying and they're awful, but they're also boring and banal. Like it's, it's terrifying and it's coming after you and it's a very serious risk to your life, but it's also an everyday everywhere uh, thing. It's, it's going to work. It's same shit, different day. Um, and so uh, I, I wanted to, make that the trope we use to talk about those things yeah sounds um somewhat revolutionary uh i i mean just from my limited experience like i've read a lot of rpgs but i've only played a handful um something that's always sort of stood out to me in role-playing games is the fact that you never really have to worry about upkeep in most of them like in shadow run you don't have to worry about renting your apartment in uh even in eclipse phase normally people forget about that stuff you know i've sort of touched on it in my own eclipse phase campaign but like we never really i never really make them struggle to meet ends meet you know in i used to actually uh for a few months worked uh as a blacksmith or with a blacksmith stuff in out of me <laughs> um yeah so do you do you have a system to deal with like upkeep presumably in red markets you know you've talked a little bit about that uh yeah so the main principle of red markets is that um it is a materialist philosophy and i mean that in like the very academic sense and that is a it's a philosophy of physicalism so um there are very good games out on the market now, like Apocalypse World and Fate, that deserve every ounce of their popularity. But uh, part of what I wanted to do when I decided I wanted to design my own system is sort of differentiate myself from that. And the thing I noticed that is similar about Apocalypse World hacks and Fate hacks is that the sheer power of your personality carries you through. Uh, like if they're all armed with anti-tank rifles and they have the drop on you, you can still take out the army as long as you invoke your don't take guff from nobody aspect, um, which uh, I wanted to do very much the reverse of that in that you have an individual character with an individual personality and individual skills and strengths and weaknesses 
But ultimately, um, because it's a game about economics, there's nothing you can bring to the table on a street view level, on an individual level, that is going to matter against certain odds. And that the way you even those odds is through material goods. So uh, very much, if you want to survive in red markets, you require things. You need guns, you need ammo, you need food, you need equipment, you need vehicles, all that kind of stuff. But um, that's by far not revolutionary uh, because there's a lot of stuff uh, in the RPG world that sort of worships and fetishizes stuff. Um, like just look at the nineties and the endless string of splat books that were just pictures of guns and like shopping catalogs for fictional, you know, items. Um, so what I wanted to do there was in red markets, you don't own stuff. Your stuff owns you. Okay. So you bought the coolest, fanciest gun in the game. That's great. Well, your silencer cores out, so it's going to start making noise eventually. You need grease to clean it. You need all sorts of other oils to clean it. You need to spend ammo sighting it in. You need to spend ammo practicing to keep your skill up. And you need to spend ammo actually shooting it. So your gun is not a one-time cost. Once you buy that gun, you're now paying for that gun every day you carry it. Um, and the same thing goes for... Uh, anything other, any other gear you might have, and that's not counting gears to keep yourself alive. Uh, so things like paying your rent because the enclave that keeps you protected from the undead hordes uh, doesn't let you stay for free. Uh, keeping your family fed, paying their rent, um, you have all of these additional costs. So uh, in red markets, you have an upkeep, meaning that um, you have a minimum you need to make to break even. And then if you ever hope to escape the terrible, desperate situation you're in, you have to make more than that in profit. Um, so you can die by not playing a game of red markets. Uh, if, you're, if your crew isn't going to spot you for a week and your character is there and you have no bounty to pay the upkeep, you can just be gone because they will quietly escort you from the enclave and try not to listen as you get chewed up outside because uh, you didn't earn your keep. Um, now, that's if you make absolutely nothing, but as starting at even the minimum amount of currency in the game, you can survive off that between session to session, but then it's a matter of, uh, you know, your kid can't go to school anymore, or your wife is sick, or your gear starts breaking down, or you're going out over the fence to fight the undead with nothing but a stick and a can-do attitude, um, and then your story gets more desperate. Uh, as things go on. So in red markets, it's very easy to win if you like have, you know, if you're dual wielding flamethrowers and covered in chain mail and, you know, calling in drone strikes on all these monsters, but you'll never get out that way because you're spending way too much on all of those goods. Uh, so it's very much a game about risk reward. Uh, how much can I possibly get accomplished with this minimum amount of stuff uh, so you're always kind of gambling and uh, skating the edge there uh, in the game by, you know, if I own this piece of gear, it will increase my chance of survival, but it will also make it hard to make the risk worth going out. Uh, so, you know, what what can I get away with carrying and what is going to trap me in this, you know, cycle of debt that I can't get out of? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's pretty crazy. Uh, you mentioned bounty at one point that's an in-game currency 
Uh, yeah. So in the basic setting of red markets, uh, the core book as it stands now, unless we hit stretch goals, uh, is mainly focused on the continental United States. And uh, after your typical zombie apocalypse happens, um, the uh, nation states uh, around the world recede behind natural borders. Uh, and anything that survives as a form of like civilization we would recognize now is generally referred to as the recession. So in uh, the U.S., the recession is behind the uh, eastern side of the country behind the Mississippi River, because when you have no air in your lungs... The eastern side's where New York City is and stuff like that, right? Yes, yeah. And the Mississippi um, is so wide and has such a heavy current through most of it. Uh, there's only about 200 miles that would have to actually be fenced off because if you were a shambling corpse with no muscle control and no air in your lungs so you don't float, there's no way you could get across that. Uh, it is, it's like the Nile. It's too big and too fast. Um, so they basically devote all their resources to saving half the country and everything off gets written off as the loss. Uh, so written off as a loss in the economic terms, meaning that they just think if they're alive, they won't be alive over there for long, or they just ignored their evacuation orders or they're uh, rebels and maybe they caused the outbreak, but nobody's over there left alive. Just anybody over in the recession, just ignore those people. They don't exist. It's nothing but corpses. We'll just let the corpses eventually slowly rot, and then we'll go take the country. But, you know, everything over there is dead. We're safe behind the walls. And as long as you don't break the quarantine, we'll stay safe. So um, that's not true. And, in fact, they intentionally left many people behind. And no one believes that to be true. But uh, the government gained so much power in the wake of this near apocalypse that it's very politically uh, unhealthy to claim that. Uh, but the problem with the recession is that they still need stuff. They still have tons of refugees. Their arable land mass has gone down by nearly 60%. And that's just in this nation. And then global trades, you know, barely hanging on. So they have to keep this, you know, economy that is in a perpetual depression going forward. And the only way they do that is trading on the uh, futures uh, reclamation, trading on the hope that one day we're going to take all this stuff back. And then it gets really sticky and financial because... Who actually died? Because no one takes a census. Do those dead people owe taxes? How does probate work? Who inherits what? If it's a business and a publicly traded entity like a corporation and it has no heirs, who gets the corporation? Who gets the infrastructure? Who gets stuff abandoned by the government? Uh, who owns what pieces of property? So the problem is, is that they're trying to limp people along promising that oh, it's going to be like the new gold rush. You'll buy a piece of the American dream. You can own hundreds of acres of land that are reclaimed from the dead once we start the reclamation one of these days. But they can't actually start that because they don't know who's alive or not. So what the government does is they issue a bounty system, meaning that if you give us proof that someone's dead and turned into a zombie, if you've brought that with you, we will give you the average property cost of one adult male, which would be like a rented apartment goods and some cars and a car. Um, and so what happens is instituting that system, 
the people over in the lost, the people left behind surviving their own self-governed cities, have a monopoly on that good. They're surrounded by zombies all the time. They also have old credit card companies they can raid to get debt structure back. They can reclaim infrastructure and clean zombies out of it so it doesn't depreciate in value. They can hunt down specific zombies. They, they basically hold a monopoly on this futures trading market that the the recession government is using to make the economy limp along. So it builds what's called a red market. It's not a black market because it's not illegal because remember everyone over in the loss is considered already dead. Uh, it's a red market. It's so extra legal, there's not even laws against it. So this invisible trade pops up and bounty is the currency of the game. And one bounty is one uh, ID from a zombie. So if you kill a zombie and they're carrying their wallet and you can pull their driver's license and prove that they're dead, you can turn that into the government and that ends up being a standardized unit of value. So whereas the dollar has collapsed and uh, a lot of things like ration dollars are specific to local areas, bounty becomes a currency that can trade between this uh, you know, uncrossable border. And so that's the currency the game is golfing off of. Because uh, a lot of people in the loss don't want to trade their bounty in because they can't get it back. So what do they, they do? They, they just use these IDs of dead people as a form of currency. Uh, it's, it's really their form of a dollar uh, or, uh, or a yen. It's their exchange value. And then they just make sure that they send it over when they have to do something in recession and get it back in cryptocurrency. Because um, whereas the recession needs to trade on this uh, futures market, the loss uh, can't scavenge everything forever. Um, even an MRE in the best canned food is going to expire after four years. And that's if it was canned on the day of the crash. Water evaporates. Uh, even your hardiest over-the-counter antibiotics and stuff are going to expire within five years. And then the setting of the game doesn't start until five years in. So you can only be self-sufficient so long. The whole, you know, one man against the apocalypse surviving by himself you know, that doesn't count when you get dysentery or you get cholera or, you know, you need glasses or, I mean, there's no such thing as one man being an island. Uh, we're not evolved to survive that way anymore. So trade has to exist or else everyone in the loss is going to die and trade has to exist or everyone in the recession is going to realize that the economy is a sham and it's going to start the revolution. They're going to tear themselves apart from within and so the only thing sustaining this economy is this red market, or in the book, it's called the carrion economy, the, the secret trade of feasting off the abandoned and dead world. Uh, and that's what the characters in red markets do. They play takers, and their job is specifically to be crazy enough to go out and exploit this situation uh, in hopes of profiting enough that they can buy their way uh, and smuggle their way into a safe zone. Okay, so that kind of feeds into my next question, which is going to be like, what are the what are the intended goals, like loose goals, uh, for players? Like in Eclipse Phase, for example, it's expected that you'll probably be playing Firewall agents, but that's not necessarily the case. So in your game, you're playing these takers, and your goal is to get out of the recession, um, which is interesting from a storytelling perspective, but uh, how, what do you think about the fact that that might lead to players asking the question of, well, why do I want to play then if like my goal is to stop playing? Uh, okay. 
well, you don't have to smuggle your way into a recession. Some people are perfectly fine with there being no government and no law, and they uh, want to build their own civilization. So um, in the game, as a taker, you build your own retirement plan. And your retirement plan basically involves stopping the life of being a taker because it's insanely dangerous and difficult. Um, and it involves going on to do whatever you want to do. So maybe you want to found your own enclave, uh, your own city of survivors that does things your own way. Uh, maybe you want to smuggle yourself in the recession. Uh, maybe you want to uh, plan an act on, of revenge on somebody. Um, so your, your goal can be your own. But uh, you are correct in that your ultimate goal is to not be a taker because think about it any RPG you've ever played, a life of adventure is a curse. It would be absolutely terrible. Frequent gunfights, uh, frequent stabbings, uh, seeing terrifying monsters that should not be, that defy physics and biology. Um, it would be a miserable, miserable existence. Uh, it would be uh, a hellish, hellish concept. Uh, and so your goal is to retire. Now, um, as regard to the question is like, why would I want to play a game when my goal is not to play? Well, you want to play the game when your goal is not to play because getting to the point where you're not to play is insanely difficult. It takes a lot of time and skill and luck. And it also, uh, the alternative to not playing the game, uh, it not, not retiring is death, uh, because you will get unlucky. You will get bit. Uh, you will not make rent. You will, uh, you know, your dependents, your family members will be hurt and, you know, they can't support themselves. They're not as tough as you. Uh, so the basic goal is to is to literally get rich or die trying. Uh, you're a, you don't want to wait for the government to come for reclamation one day because you don't want to deal with the fact that they declared you dead and you are inconveniently not dead and make their whole regime seem like a lie. Like they're not content to wait around and hope it works out or wait around and hope that the fences hold, or wait around and hope that they don't get sick with the flu that kills everyone. Uh, takers want out now, and they want out as quickly as possible, and they want to actually have earned something for you know surviving this horrible apocalypse. So it is very much about get as much as you can, as quickly as you can, and get out uh, in order to do that. Now, the thing is, though, you can run, uh, I believe our first campaign is something like 20 sessions. Uh, so you can run a really long game where you're still just struggling to do that. Because the thing about red markets is that unlike other RPGs, you do not have a constantly upwards character progression. Um, your skills, your sanity, your health, everything is based off your capital, off having enough bounty to support those things. So your character can get worse between sessions. Uh, they can be in worse off straights. They can be less effective uh, if they're not, you know, making their pay. And it's very much about the cycle of poverty and how wonderful and easy it sounds when you say, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, but how actually difficult and painful that can be over a long period of time. Yeah, that nonlinear uh, character progression sounds pretty... Um pretty interesting the idea of you some some uh, some sessions you might end up worse than you started off i think that would that would lead to some really interesting storytelling and i definitely think that players going into your game have to be have to be there to want to tell a, a good story which sometimes is not the case for uh role players um, <laughs> but i did have a few other questions 
that I, I thought might be interesting. Um, have you got any plans for like expanding uh, red markets or anything like that? Like, you know, once you've got your core book out, what are what are some of the other projects you uh, might do with it with red markets uh, as the product you know succeeds or whatnot? Uh, yeah, so the Kickstarter is on the twenty third. Um, the the rules are completely play tested, and I'm not saying they're perfect, but they've gone through twelve iterations, and I've got two hundred and fifty pages of material already. But we want to make this a really big and really cool and really useful book. So uh, I believe like the first six stretch goals are all based on adding things to the book: new chapters, new setting material, new art, new rules. Um, and that's the, st that's the first expansion because I haven't print, I haven't written all that stuff yet, uh, because I want to make sure we have enough money to print it. Uh, but if we go bananas or if we have some time and we earn some sales from red markets, um, I've always been pictured, pictured since it's a game about the economy, uh, and global capitalism, the setting being global. So, um, I would like to start off with some small PDFs about individual enclaves with some pre-generated jobs so you can pick up and play red markets even faster. But after that, uh, I have an idea for a book called Red World, which would basically be a setting expansion. And you would talk about, um, you know, how the rest of the world survived the crash, what nation states reside, you know, reside in a recession state versus what nation states uh, are been completely lost to the dead and how global trade survives on that. Um, so I have a big map in my uh, office in which I've, you know, it looks like I'm tracking a serial killer uh, in which I've coded, you know, uh, all the areas that I would have countries surviving and where they'd be going and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's a separate book. That's a splat book. And then it is its own system. Uh, and I think the profit system would excel at any game uh, with a materialist storytelling focus. Uh, it is not so crunchy and obsessed as dungeon crawling games. Uh, but as long as you want to use the stuff a character is carrying to tell a story about the state that character is in, uh, I think there's a lot of horror concepts that... Uh, the profit system could go to. So after that, I, I have an idea for a book called, uh, you know, Diversified Portfolios, which is basically taking the very uh, capitalist, materialist focus of the profit system um, and moving it to other settings. Uh, so uh, uh, Ross Payton, uh, my partner at RVBR, he's had a, he's has a series pitch for that in which he would uh, do the setting very much uh, similar to uh, the video game Shadows of Colossus. Uh, and you'd be people trying to survive in the shadow of these warring kaiju uh, in this sort of barter economy that exists beneath it. Um, games like XCOM, where you can only kill so many aliens as you can afford to with government funding, uh, would be perfect for the profit system. Um, and then I'm already pulling a lot from uh, Roadside Picnic and you know games like Stalker and that very Russian school of, uh, you know, Soviet fantasy in which, you know, you are risking death against nightmares beyond imagining for a paycheck. Uh, so diversified portfolios would be a, a number of setting hacks and rules alterations for the base 
profit system um, after people had mastered their red markets uh, and wanted to take the setting into other places. But uh, we got to get a core book out first. So that's, yeah, that's way indeed. in the future. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited for this project, especially after hearing about, um, you know, the Red World book. Um, I remember when I read the beta that you uh, put out, the beta rules book, you had a little bit of the setting material in there and Australia was mentioned. And I always get really excited when my country is mentioned in any sort of thing that is even adjacent to science fiction because it's all often not really thought about or when it is it's really strange like uh the like in deus ex when it's mentioned it's like oh there's a mercenary republic trying to secede from the australian government i'm like what that doesn't make any bloody sense why <laughs> is that happening here uh you know so i'm always interested when australia gets mentioned in something well can i run an idea by you first i, mean, I don't get yeah. to talk to many australians yeah, go for all it. right so my basic idea is so it's my understanding that uh, in terms of population density, uh, Australia is basically focused around the coasts. And then the further yep. inland you go, the, the less dense the population, correct? Yeah, um, we actually recently went on a road trip through um, the desert parts of New South Wales. So, you know, and that's where I grew up. So, yeah, population density super low out there. So yeah, since that's where primary like your ports are, your airports are, and your population, your urban centers are. If we're talking zombie apocalypse, um, you guys have the benefit of people are coming from one direction. Uh, you know, they're not going to be coming up from, you know, the South Pole. Uh, you you've got that uh, island oriented, and then if you are losing population centers, you can recede into largely target poor environments, uh, you know, big swaths of desert, prepare a response. And then since my zombies are Romero zombies, if you have a serious logistical effort behind it, you can get rid of them. They're not that hard to kill. They're like the weather. Uh, it's only really bad if you're by yourself and unprepared. Um, so uh, in my vision of it, uh, Australia is doing really good. And they're actually uh, one of the world's, you know, leading superpowers in Red World. Uh, but the problem I would see with Australia would be uh, pockets of infection that still break out because um, I don't think China or Singapore are places with massive land masses with no defensible, like zombies are going to wander in everywhere from China, North Korea, Mongolia, India. They're going to come from every direction. And, you know, you're going to have pockets of resistance with the Chinese government uh, is not going to be able to hold a centralized landmass. Uh, so, but they also have one of the largest navies of the world. So you've got that Japan, uh, Singapore, Philippines, uh, you know, which are high, high value real estate as an island. Cause once you clear it, you're good. Uh, but at the same time has very, very small landmass. So it can only support so many human beings. Um, so in my vision of Red World, like one of the things I would talk about in Red World would be a three-way war between, you know, this sort of uh, island coalition, Australia, and the remains of the Chinese Navy uh, that is sort of constantly waging on as people are trying to get landmass for their massive refugee populations. Uh, and then meanwhile, Something. Australia is trying to keep house in order inside the continent. Yeah. Uh, Something that might be worth mentioning in that context is the idea that uh, Australia is allied 
quite closely with Indonesia, but like tensions are relation that relationship is becoming very strained recently as uh you know Papua New Guinea and Indonesia refuse to house our refugee detention camps because we don't want illegal refugees coming into our country when we've got huge amounts of empty landmass. Uh, you know, where would we where would they live? There's no space for them in the huge yeah. empty vastness of our nation. Um, so you know, Indonesia might be worth mentioning. Another thing is that um, Australia's got a crap ton of unexploited national uh, natural resources. Um, Australia's big problem at the moment, the way that I see it, is that we export a bunch of unrefined material and then import refined material. So, like, we export iron ore to China and then import steel. It's like, we could just build a foundry and make our own steel. But, ooh, I don't know. You know, that might be something worth mentioning there. I don't know. Oh, yeah, no. And, and then, and that's just, like, geopolitical geography stuff so like the thing about red world is that i would probably not write the majority of red world i would probably be doing a lot of freelance work and uh hiring rpg writers from around the world or with like strong research focuses because you know i would really want to talk about you know the specifics of the australian economy like that um and, oh, and then uh, if they're th and if they're thrown and if australia is thrown on the world stage is like because like with the united states the only way i have the setting working is that like they've got drone farming which actually exists now but you can basically run a combine like you can run a combat drone and you know you just run the zombie over with the harvester uh but like at, at this point like you know most of our arable land mass would be gone uh you know the food belt of all of america would be gone if you cut it off at the mississippi so i've got to work out that so i figure like places like australia are one of the few places that would have a chance at truly being self-sufficient um and so as a result of that like uh you know what happens to the australian economy if it's thrown into a world leader status uh and then what happens to their oh, cultural man. differences with indonesia um where does new zealand go with that uh probably with australia but how do they want a piece of the pie and then what does china annex have to new say zealand. about it yeah yeah and yeah annex <laughs> new zealand and then what does china have to say about that because they're not going to give a shit they have boats full of hundreds of thousands of people that need somewhere to go so and one of the strongest remains of the strongest militaries of the world so yeah it would be a very different game in australia than if it was in the remains of brazil hiding behind the parana river or chile behind the mountains or russia behind the urals or uh scandinavia scandinavian norwegian uh countries surviving off the cold uh, you know, which is not great for things that don't generate body temperature uh, or, or the UK cleaning out the islands uh, or Madagascar or the rift zone in Africa. So they would all be very different settings, like very different concerns. I, I still reckon, think that uh, I still think I the think very like you go, you go. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, Italy could do. Yeah, Italy could do that. Uh, you know, basically the Romans, uh, the Romans fighting barbarians is not that different from fighting zombies you know blow the passes and then get them to file into one line um you know max books world war z stuff so but yeah that's the stuff it would be about individual uh geopolitical areas and then the main activity would still be you're a taker you're desperate enough to go out on adventures in these zones for profit uh because you know it's only a matter of time if you just go off your safe subsistence living 
before something goes wrong and wipes out you and your loved ones. You need to get to a safe zone. But like, what is what's involved in doing that is going to you know vary drastically depending on where you're at politically. And I know that as an American, the reason I like red markets is because you can very much streamline uh, scenario design and you can write a whole night's adventure in a thousand words because the dungeons are your big box stores. They're your mega churches. They're your factories. They're the town you live in. Like you don't have to do, you know, this George R. R. Martin, you know, imaginary maps of these imaginary worlds. You can Google and print off a blueprint of a place that might have something worth stealing. And then that's where you play that night. Um, and so the goal of red world would be to let everybody do that. I'm sad. I can't do that in the core book now, but you know, there's a lot of rules and systems and new stuff to do. And then, uh, you know, I am a dumb American who flunked geography, uh, in high school. So I don't want to <laughs> do that all by myself. I want to get some experts in on to help that. So, oh man, I could talk about variations on setting for red with, for your red markets, uh, <laughs> uh, game for like hours but i have a few other <laughs> questions that i wanted to ask you yeah um alongside uh red markets and its design you've been to you and ross payton uh from role-playing public radio who you've worked with in the past and you know you're, you're on his podcast or the podcast i don't know how you guys define ownership of that um uh it's definitely his podcast it's definitely his podcast uh, all right well, he lets uh, me hang out and i'm very grateful for it you guys have been doing a project called Game Designers Workshop. Um, could you tell us quickly, like, what the gen- what uh, what exactly Game Designers Workshop is, and uh, and what you guys have been doing with that, and how it relates to Red Markets? Uh, well, yeah, uh, RPPR Game Designers Workshop started uh, when I was doing a literature review because once I decided I wanted to do an RPG, I was very determined not to do what everyone warned me against, which would be writing a heartbreaker. So writing a system, uh, writing a game in which the setting changed, but it could easily and be better done in a system that's already been play tested dozens of times. So I read a ton of different RPGs and then I read a ton of different uh, people writing about how to make an RPG. Um, And the thing about the RPG uh, hobby is that uh, due to the sort of nerdy undertones and subcultures, that exist in various countries about it. And then due to the fact that it's um, not really an industry and is such a hobby industry, uh, there is very little in the way of traditional education in that like someone who knows what they're doing is lecturing to me about about how to do it. It is almost all autodidacts and people who don't learn from like verbal learning or just tell me how to do it or give me homework learning at all. people who are very much hands-on need to do it themselves. Um, And I understand that that's a great way to learn for uh, even most people, but I'm one of those freaks for whom traditional learning was perfect. Sit me down in a lecture hall for two hours, give me an extensive amount of homework, I will get it. But when you just throw me at it and say, figure it out for yourself and work it with your hands, I am terrible at it. Um, So one of the things I wanted to do with Game Designers Workshop um, is uh, sort of podcasts chronicle what we were doing with red markets and make it that very much. All right. So for this topic, here are some things you should consider as you're writing a game. Uh, The problem with wanting to do that is that while I've written supplements and I've done publishing before red markets, I'd never designed my own system before. So it was going to be a learning process for me as well. 
And what I found in reviewing literature is that a lot of game designers sort of work on this stuff, but very after the fact, like, oh, I published this game years ago. Here's what I remember about it. And here's what I would do differently again. And while that has some use, I come from education background. And uh, what I found that is the most successful thing I've ever done in my teaching is just to do it with the people you're teaching and screw up with them. Um, like I've never taught an essay better than when I throw my computer screen up on the projector. And whenever a kid doesn't have a direct question about their essay, I just go back and type my version of the essay assignment that they're doing because they can see me screw up. They can see me misspell things. They can see me write a sentence fragment and then wait to go back for a letter and they can see me move and pace and, you know, do all the organization stuff. And they see that like, okay, the thing I'm doing is fine. That's natural. This is weird. And this is going off. Now I need to raise my hand and get extra help. Um, cause this is a unique situation and it really helps them out. So, uh, our basic tagline, uh, for RPP, RGDW, considering I wanted to do this more traditional learning model for RPGs, but I also wanted to do it along with the listener, is our official tagline is fucking up in real time, in which case uh, our first episode of Game Designers Workshop was when I got the idea for Red Markets. Um, and then I went over to Ross's and we time stamped it and dated it. And I talked about the idea from Red Markets. And then from there forward, we would just wait till we had like done enough stuff. And then we would go over to Ross's. We would just talk about, all right, I just did research. All right, I just did con work to promote the game. Okay, we're doing play testing now. Okay, we're doing this. Uh, and so we just talked about everything we were doing as we were doing it. So uh, you can sort of not, you know, I mean, there's a great value in these like legendary 30-year Gygaxian uh, experts of game design. But I thought if I was going to contribute to that conversation and help at all, it would be as, you know, I'll run through the minefield first, see if I blow up. Uh, and if I don't follow me, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so Game Designers Workshop is a learning experience, but also meant to be educational for other people to listen to. And uh, it doesn't help as a form of promoting the game of Red Markets either. So, Yeah, it sounds like a pretty crazy, uh, interesting project. Um, has, has broadcasting your progress hindered you at all? Um. I don't think so. Uh, I think, I think if it was my first project, it, it really would. I mean, there's a lot in cognitive science that says if you have a big sweeping self-improvement goal, don't tell anyone. Like there's a lot in cognitive science that says if you want to lose weight, don't tell anyone you're trying to lose weight. If you want to be a painter, don't tell anyone because uh, your brain will trick you into saying, thinking that talking about the goal being done is the same as getting the goal done, which it never is. Um, but this was not my first rodeo. It's not my first 300 plus page book. Um, so that didn't really, that wasn't really susceptible. And in many cases, since I, I kind of had that discipline, uh, already, which is one thing we talk about. Um, I think the, the game designer workshops actually helped me get it done faster than I would normally, if I'd never announced that that was my intention to make a game, uh, because, you know, it's an accountability piece because, uh, I'm very blessed in that I know Ross and he's built such a massive fan base at RPPR. And I mean, I first mentioned this game nearly four years ago. And, you know, since very soon after that, I've had fans, you know, commenting, hey, where's Red Markets? When's Red Markets coming out? Um, and the answer now is the same as it was then soon. Uh, 
but we are getting very close with the Kickstarter on May 23rd uh, because once we get that done, we will know exactly how much we have left to make uh, and exactly how pretty and fancy we can make the 250 plus pages we already have done. So, yeah. Um, uh, what what kind of skills have you had to cultivate uh, through this project, both Game Designers Workshop and Red Markets? You know, skills you didn't have before that you realized you needed, and you know, you're like, oh, how am I how am I going to learn to do this thing? Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about that, but I wanted. Yeah, so just a, a bit more. Yeah, um, well, you need a visual vocabulary um, that is very different than what I might have as a creative writer. Uh, so when you're describing art to a professional artist, um, there are terms to use and terms not to use uh, that will get you your result as you want. Uh, I've had to learn legal language. So as I've done a lot of writing myself, I've read contracts myself, but... I've had to learn to write contracts myself. Uh, I've had to learn about the intricacies of licensing games and like what can and can't be licensed, uh, you know, at least according to the U.S. legal system. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, there's that. And then there's uh, writing-wise, uh, you know, writing fluff versus writing rules language is very different. Um, it's very much on the other side of that weird fusion of creative writing and technical writing that, uh, where RPG writing exists. Uh, so I, I normally didn't have to venture too far into rules writing. Whereas like, I'm so excited to dive headfirst into uh, setting material because like, that's where I'm comfortable. And I've not been working there since I started Red Markets because my main goal was to get the rules done and get them as polished and clean as possible before I, we went to Kickstarter. Uh, so, you know, seven plus alpha iterations and we're onto the third beta. Uh, you know, it's, I've lived in rules language a lot more than I ever thought was possible for me. Uh, and, and then uh, math, just not financial math, but probability of, you know, you have God knows how many dice mechanics I tried out before we landed on the one we ended up doing. So working out probability curves for your game, uh, working out probability, curves for other games and then figuring out why those probability curves work for people and where they think, you know, a chance of failure is too much and it's bullshit. And where do they think that uh, success is too easy and the psychology of that math. Uh, so yeah, I have learned a ton uh, working on red markets already. And I'm sure I will learn a lot more as I get more into the, you know, offset print run distribution business side of things. Yeah, sounds like you've had to cultivate a fair few skills um, for that. Uh, uh, how how is Red Markets going to continue? Uh, not Red Markets, sorry. How is Game Designers Workshop going to continue uh, after you've uh, got the bulk of Red Markets done? You know, after you've got the rule book out and you've got you know Red World out and you've got your um, diversified portfolios book out, you know. How how are you going to keep doing Game Designers Workshop through all of that? And then are you going to keep doing it after that? Are you going to start a new project and keep and then fold that into Game Designers Workshop? You know, what is the life of this of Game Designers Workshop as a project? Uh, well, that's certainly the hope. Uh, we update uh, we 
we're blessed in being part of uh, Ross Payton's media empire and the insane amount of podcasts he puts out. So um, we don't have to update like every single week. Uh, we can do it as things organically develop in the process. So yes, I, I plan on keep on doing it, uh, though our, our posting schedule is irregular, um, as it should be, because I originally intended it to be binge listened to uh, by people who are like, hey, I want to design an RPG. What should I go find to help me out? Oh, there's this podcast that's got 20 episodes up. Yeah, that was my originally goal. Um, so we will keep doing it. Uh, as far as like doing it throughout all that stuff that you just described, uh, yes, that is the plan, but that's like four or five years of podcasts at this point because that's two more books and I haven't finished the first one yet. Uh, so that'll be plenty of stuff. But then uh, it's me and Ross talking about it. So um, Ross has designed uh, games before and he's continuing to design games. He has a very high concept game uh, about architectural horror, uh, the horror of spaces uh, in which called Ruin that he is working on, uh, that it uses the gumshoe OGL license. Uh, and he has been doing a lot of stuff with base shredders to, to support that line. And he's been doing a lot to help me out with red markets. So uh, as red markets dies down, I assume Ross is just going to pick that up even harder than he already has. And we'll just, you know, switch over to uh, talking about what he's learning as he's doing uh, his game uh, back and forth. And then, you know, uh, maybe I'll try a different type of game. Maybe I'll, you know, dip my foot into card games or something. Uh, and we'll just keep it up as long as we keep on writing games. Because, you know, uh, talking about games with your friend who likes games is uh, not a bad idea, e whether you're recording it or not. So I definitely will be keeping that up. I think that uh, Death Trap would be a good idea for a card <laughs> game from you. You know, something about... <laughs> You know, something like Epic Spell Wars, but you've got to put together like death traps. Uh, I've thought Just about that like have, as an RPG. Have that idea. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that as an RPG, but yeah, um, yeah. There's lots of notebooks with half-formed stuff that I think I, I will do one day. So uh, we'll see what actually happens. Uh, Red Marcus is yeah, happening. Right. I've bought a bunch of art already. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to happen. It's got to happen because you've bought the art. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question for you, and then we'll uh, let you get on your way. Uh, I understand you've got a few other interviews to do today. Uh, this was a, one that came from some of the people that were helping me workshop question, helping us workshop questions to ask you. They wanted to know what scares you. What scares me? Uh, wow. Mm. Okay. Um. Well. Can I ask a follow-up? Do they mean like fantasy, like giant spiders, or do they mean like like real-world fears? I think they probably <laughs> let Let's go with one of each. Oh, yeah. One of each. Okay. Quick fire um, question. <laughs> okay, uh, for real stuff, I, I'm deathly afraid of letting people down. Uh, I don't like people having expectations of me and not meeting them. Uh, I know that's sort of childish. Uh, to to be afraid of, but uh, you know it stems to the poverty thing. Like you know, you get to see the your parents you know suffer because you can't help them out with money and stuff. That's crushing. I would prefer anything to that. Um, so I get very afraid of that uh, and still have anxiety about that. In terms of uh, fantasy, scary fear, 
Um, hmm. Blobs, like blobs of any kind, like the blob or uh, Shogoths or any like amorphous ooze things that ooze through things and dissolve you or corrupt you or, uh, you know, bullets don't hurt them. Uh, not, not a big fan of that. Like, I know what to do with vampires, but if it's just like leaking in through the walls and being all gross, ugh, I'm not a big fan of those. So any kind of ooze monsters, gelatinous cubes, not a big fan of gelatinous cubes. Uh, they, they all kind of freak me out. Oh, well, if you don't like blobs then or uh, fluid monsters, I have an eclipse phase gate crashing uh, one shot for you. Uh, I have to have to see if I can get you to play one of those. Um, well, that was that was that was great. I had uh, an awesome time talking to you and chatting you uh, with you about red markets. We, I'm sure, a lot of our listeners are looking forward to hearing. Uh, hearing about red markets and, and seeing the Kickstarter. Um, when, when is that Kickstarter going up? Uh, May 23rd, Monday, May 23rd. Oh, brilliant. Um, and couple- where can people find out more about you and more about red markets? Uh, well, uh, we are at, I'm at RPPR. We're pretty much constantly talking about it uh, in the main podcast. And we're also talking about it. Uh, we've run our first playtest campaign called The Brutalists. It's currently up on the actual play website. Um, so slangdesign.com slash RPPR uh, is a great place to learn more about the game. Uh, I blog at uh, Hebanon Games at Blogspot. Uh, and then my Twitter account is Hebanon G Cal, C-A-L, C-A-L. Uh, so Hebanon Games, Caleb, Hebanon G Cal. So uh, any of those places, uh, we have a subreddit now, uh, and I'm currently working on a Facebook page. So um should be pretty easy to Google, if not already, but definitely pretty soon. Yeah, and we'll try to put links to all that on the WordPress page um, and possibly on the SoundCloud description, although I'm not sure if the links will... I don't think. I don't know if it'll let us put links in the SoundCloud description, but definitely on the WordPress page, you'll be able to find uh, a whole bunch of links to where to find Caleb and, and more of his uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, Caleb, thank you for being on. I hope that you enjoyed yourself. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll do something with you in the future. But uh, for now, uh, listeners, farewell from the past. I'm Raymond. <laughs>